Welcome to the UX of EdTech podcast. This is an exploration of user experience in the educational technology space. I'm your host, Alicia Kwan, and I'm super excited to learn alongside you. So I'm delighted to have Alicia Arp on the podcast today because she works at the heart of UX and EdTech. Alicia is a, a senior user experience researcher whose work has informed the design of software platforms, digital and physical spaces, and business processes. She specifically works right now in the K-12 education space uh, at Mind Research Institute. She works with UX research, customer experience strategy, and the impactful design of digital, physical, and experiential products for kindergarten through high school students and educators. Alicia earned her master's in user experience design, information architecture, and knowledge manage management from Kent State University. Uh, there's many things I could add to her credentials here. Um, I first heard Alicia discuss UX research over at the Mind Research Institute podcast, which shout out to them, you should check it out. And I was fascinated at how much she valued understanding students on a deeper level. I'm so happy to be able to talk to her today. And plus we share an awesome name. So welcome to the podcast, Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. We do share the same name, just different spelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Thanks for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Um, I I just want to dive right in um, as far as what you're doing now. Um, but I wanted to kind of get some background as to how you got into user experience. So do you mind describing even going way backwards to yourself as a student, what was school? Oh, wow. What was school like for you? Um, kind of, uh, you know, yeah. K twelve into college, um, yeah. and then you can kind of describe your pathway from from there. Gosh, yeah, yeah. I do remember one of my favorite teachers was my first grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Faye Evans, and um, like I still send Mrs. Evans a Christmas card every year. Like that's how much she was my favorite teacher. Mm. And because she saw that curiosity and she went to my parents and she said, you know, hey, Alicia kind of finishes some of her work, not all subjects, <laughs> but some of her work somewhat quickly. Can you help provide her some additional things to do to keep busy and, you know, stay focused on work and not on getting into mischief. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, she was just, gosh, she just really, having her as my first grade teacher really kind of set me off on a really good path. Um, oh, high school, I was, you know, typical high school student, not a stellar high school student. I don't think I was a stellar student until my junior year of college. And my now husband, then boyfriend, had a lot to do with that. He appeared to get A's easily, and I'm a little bit competitive. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I can remember my dad actually recognizing, I don't know who this boy is, but you need to hang out with him some more because, like, your grades are going up. <laughs> <laughs> because... I guess I just kind of learned to study well yeah. from him. And um, so, yeah, I like I made the dean's list my junior year in college and I was working three jobs at the time because 
you know, that's what you did to get through college. Yeah. Um, and I was also taking like 18 solid units and I, I, I surprised myself. Um, and that <laughs> I think was the first time that I realized how much potential I had. You know, people tell you you have potential and people tell you you're not living up to your potential. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that was the first time I really realized that I had potential. Um, that's, oh, that's interesting. And yeah. so in in college, we were talking a little bit before we we started about how you you kind of bounced to several different jobs afterwards right different yeah. career paths you want to tell us kind of your brief version of that and then how you landed um at ux oh absolutely so i went to school and did my undergrad and then became a teacher and then uh i loved teaching loved what um teaching. what level were you teaching i taught middle school i, okay. <laughs> I kind of love awesome. the squirrely teenagers awesome um I taught middle school, but then I was teaching in Orange County, California, uh, and Orange County went bankrupt and I lost my teaching job and there were no other teaching jobs in the county uh, because the county was bankrupt and my husband and I had just bought our first house. So we weren't really flexible. We couldn't leave Orange County. Mm -hmm. So I shifted gears and went into business and I worked in the tech industry for a while. Um, and then the dot bomb happened. And then, so I shifted over and I did real estate for a while. I did kind of, you know, a few other things in there. I worked for the American Red Cross for a while, which was really interesting. Um, came mm -hmm. back to the tech industry in, <sighs> Uh, 2009, I think it was. Yeah, 2009. Um, uh, and I transitioned into UX kind of, it was sort of serendipitous. Uh, my husband was at the time working for DirecTV and they interviewed this person for an opportunity there and he was really impressed by this person's credentials and so at lunchtime that day he went and looked up where she had studied and my husband is in some ways the antithesis of me i'm this really high energy really ex like excited about everything and he's <laughs> you know, cause you can't have two people like that in one household and have it be <laughs> copacetic. Um, he's this very calm, very laid back, you know, very, very astute individual. And he called me and he was so excited. It's the only other time that I've seen him this excited. And the first time was when our daughter was born. <laughs> he was so excited about this program at Kent State. He's like, I think this is you. It sounds like it's so right up your alley. You've always taken A and B and combined them and made things better. I mean, in every job I've ever done, that's kind of who I am. Mm. And he's like, you got to check it out. So I went online, I checked it out. And at that time, Kent State had a program 
you could take one class as a guest student. It was kind of spendy to take that one class, but I figured what the heck, you know, I'm, I'm investing in my own future potentially. I took Dr. Zhang's knowledge management class and I fell in hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> I was so excited about this stuff. I, I get chills still thinking about it. Aww. And Dr. Zhang is amazing instructor, amazing instructor. She actually does um, a lot of the UX work for the Getty Museum out here in LA. Um, and uh, so I took that one class. I was like two weeks into it. And I was writing my statement of purpose to apply for the overall master's program. And the beautiful thing about Kent State is that their program is super pragmatic, super pragmatic. It is taught, most of the professors there are working professionals. Mm -hmm. So it's not this, um, it's not theoretical at all. Yeah. Like you, the projects that you do are legit project work that you can put on a portfolio. You just, because you didn't work for that international hotelier, right? They didn't employ you. You have to put the project on your portfolio as for an international hotelier or a national pizza chain mm -hmm. or, right? So if you go all the way back in my portfolio and, oh my gosh, I have to get it and update it. It's so out of date right now. I'm so bad. <laughs> um, but if you go back into like the early, early stuff in my portfolio, um, you can you can see and it's a really amazing pragmatic program so you come out of it with legit experience which is amazing wow that sounds like a an awesome experience that you had there then with their program yeah. and everything where did you pivot to next when you when you finished sounds like you had good experience by then yeah, I did. And in fact, the job that I was in at the time while I was going to school um, was in the tech industry. And so I was able to start picking up projects while I was in school. So that was really cool. And that's just, you know, kind of a rare opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, there's the people that I mentor in this space, there's ways to find those opportunities in an organization a lot of times. Um, and so, yeah, I did that. And then I got, it was really funny. I, my, one of my jobs that I got after finishing that degree, they were actually hiring for a, uh, hardcore designer and I am, a good experience designer, but when it gets into the, the really beautiful, fine high fives and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, I'm, that's not my sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were looking for. But I went in and I interviewed and I talked to, I was talking to the director and I've had the fortune to work for some amazing people. The director there was uh, Mr. Warren Sang of Sang Studios. And we talked during the interview and he's like, you know, I really think we probably do need 
some research on this project. So I was hired in to obviously work on the experience design of it, but he hired me for the research chops that I have. Mm -hmm. And I worked as a you know, contributor on that team from the research standpoint and as well, um, you know, designing, designing the experience flows and stuff like that. And then we had some fantastic artists on that team. Um, Candace Coe, David Hubler, uh, Justin uh, Templeton. I mean, we had some amazing, amazing designers on that team. And um, we ended up creating an award-winning product for them. So Wow. That's awesome. It's interesting how you um, kind of persuaded him the need for research at their studio. Well, and, yeah, and it wasn't even it wasn't even my intent to persuade yeah. him. We just got into that good of a conversation. Wow. Um, so uh, obviously there were many steps before you landed at the place that you're at now. But if you were to kind of fast forward, um, I know you've done many different research type roles. Um, would you describe kind of what you're currently doing now in yeah, UX absolutely. at MIND? Um, MIND Research Institute is such an amazing organization to work for. We are research-based, right? I mean, you can hear it in the name. I work with neuroscientists, mathematicians, data scientists. I, I sometimes joke that I'm the dumbest person at the company. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but when you work with people like that, you elevate your own self and your own skills, right? Um, and MIND's mission is to mathematically equip all students to solve the world's most challenging problems. And getting at the heart of what students and what educators need in the classroom has been my focus. I've spent literally thousands of hours in the field hmm. doing research with students and educators. And when I say educators, I'm talking about um, teachers and administrators and paraprofessionals. Uh, so really getting in and doing that contextual research, right? You can look at data all day long and we do. <laughs> Mind is so data-driven. Um, and you can look at data all day long, but data isn't going to tell you that one of the reasons that the teachers in this particular school, in this particular part of the country, um, aren't logging in because they're you know, their kids are logging in, but the teachers aren't using the educator experience because the reporting is, and this is on the um, program that we're obviously redesigning, um, the, the, the data is kind of cumbersome and hard to get to and hard to understand at a glance. And they have over-impacted classrooms and teachers don't have 38 seconds to run to the bathroom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that kind of contextual research, re, and it, it has in every place that I've ever worked. When I was working on the Bone Marrow Transplant Center when I was at Taylor Design, and we presented that project to 
the hospital stakeholders, they looked at us like we were BS crazy because we had bathrooms designed into the design every so many feet. And they're like, we don't like that numbers way off the patient count per bathroom ratios that we usually do. And, you know, the stakeholders that are writing the check in a hospital are not the practitioners. They're not the doctors and the nurses, right? Who mm -hmm. they're the, the hospital facilities director and, you know, all these, these people who, and they're, I don't want to sound like they're disconnected from their work, but they would have no way of knowing what it's like to be a bone marrow transplant patient where literally every system in your body has to get restarted so they don't work in the beginning so if you need a bathroom there's no waiting until the next patient that's using it gets out like yeah I'm trying not to be graphic yeah. but you don't have the physical ability to wait yeah when you're going through bmt treatment right that same kind of contextual research in the classroom is giving this redesigned product, which we're launching now. Um, it, it'll be in schools this 2021 school year. Hmm. That contextual deep research and really getting in there and understanding why, right? Why do teachers need what they need? why do they need that information and why do they need it in a quickly digestible format and why do students need to see their data the same way that their teachers see their data and the same way that their teachers share that data with the parents and that data is also shared up the chain of uh, site to district administrator right getting out and having those conversations in the schools with the kids with the teachers with the administrators has made this product that we're launching just tailor-made wow yeah do you want to tell us more about um yeah this product that you guys are working on kind of what stmap does and mm -hmm. how it is being um just so positively influenced by the research that you're doing mm -hmm. like how the two connect Absolutely. So ST math stands for, uh, the ST is spatial temporal. And in a nutshell, ST math teaches the conceptual before it teaches the procedural. And in this way, it builds a stronger math foundation than kids will get working problems in a book, say, right? Let me give you actually an example from my own childhood. Um, yeah. I, you know, back when I was a kid, you got introduced to multiplication in third grade. Um, standards have changed a little bit since then. <laughs> <laughs> but my teacher was teaching on the <clears throat> chalkboard. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> teaching on the chalkboard multiplication, but she's calling it times, right? times it's three times three and i'm she's just showing us the procedure right and i'm confused as all hell like i don't know what what does <laughs> she mean three times like i'm thinking of a clock i'm not getting it she's not going into the concept at all she's really just um 
just explaining the the procedure the the equation right the mm -hmm. mathematical equation with the numbers and the symbols but she's really not even explaining what the symbols are so and she was probably my one teacher that i had in elementary school that maybe shouldn't have been a teacher so i won't say her name um but <laughs> she asked me that day because you know i wasn't a idiot kid i was you know pretty bright kid but i just was not getting what she was trying to teach us and i she looked at me like what are you stupid and that's what she said to me and oh. i'm like well maybe i mean you know when you tell a kid that right yeah what are you stupid well the kid what do they think if their teacher because remember i had had mrs evans <laughs> yeah. when when your teacher asks you if you're stupid right so i went home and you know I, again i wear my emotions on my sleeve my mom could tell right away what was wrong that something was wrong what happened i explained to her and we had um nut trees in our yard and so my mom had been shelling nuts and so she grabs these walnuts that just happened to be in front of her and he goes she says look this is what three times three means right you have three groups of three things and you take those and you multiply those and you get nine so she showed me and then she gave me some more walnuts and then she you know helped me like conceptualize mm. what multiplication is st math does that for kids Hmm. It teaches them conception, the concept, the, blah, blah, blah. it teaches <laughs> them the concept. I get so excited. I talk too fast yeah. for my own brain. Um, it teaches them the concept before it ever introduces the number or the symbol. Hmm. It's visual. And hmm. the amazing thing about ST math is that when a kid makes an attempt they guess they try to figure it out it does not give them big old red x right it doesn't say nah, you got it wrong it shows them through the animated feedback there are more lines of code in this program than you can even count <laughs> it shows them through the animated feedback what their mathematical response did so if i had chosen three times three and i had chosen six right? Because in my brain, I'm putting a three groups of three together. Maybe I'm thinking that should be six, right? It would show me six of whatever, you know, animated thing is on the screen, shoes, trucks, blocks, flowers, pedal, you whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It would take those six and it would show me how that answer response worked in the visual concept, the visual, the spatial temporal display of that mathematics. And then I would see that it was incorrect. And then I would have the opportunity to make another attempt. And then if I did say that that three times three was nine, like I figured it out from that animated feedback, um, then it would show me again, that animated feedback with the correct answer right that i had mm. chosen and it would display that and it would visibly show me why the math worked mm. so a lot of kids go through 
studying math and they get there's kids who really get the procedure and then somewhere about middle school or high school and if you look at national um, math scores like the proficiency level drops by about a third every four years hmm. if you go if you go backwards from 12th grade right um, and you go about every four years back and you look at the uh, proficiency rates like it's it's appalling but part of that is because kids are being kids are getting the procedural the procedural does not help you all that much if you don't get the conceptual when you get into ma advanced mathematics mm. wow. because three times three doesn't mean squat diddly when you start getting into like algebraic equations and stuff like that mm. so that's wow. why the program is so strong i love how it's yeah individualized you know mm -hmm. and, and provides that that feedback based on what the individual is doing exactly it, it it engages um our our perception action cycle so um, your perception, perception action cycle, I mean, again, we are a neuroscience company, right? Yeah. Your perception action cycle is, um, here's this thing that I'm going to attempt to do. I do it. I, and I perceive what happens from what I've done, right? So in the case of choosing the answer six versus the answer nine, right? I see how six of whatever they are, shoes, blocks, pedals, whatever, does not properly complete the, the visual equation, the spatial and temporal um, uh, story, if you will, that's on the screen for the student. And you can see visually where that uh, what's remaining, what I didn't do, what needs to happen. And so then you take an action based on that perception, right? Mm -hmm. So again, it engages your perception action cycle. The, um, the learning uh, method that goes into ST math is actually patented. Do you know how hard oh. it is to get a patent on a learning <laughs> methodology? <laughs> wow right <laughs> wow. wow that's impressive um with your ux role how would you describe your influence on um the this product that you guys are working on this this program right. kind of what was your role so i mean obviously in general i know so research and like spending the hours how did you influence how the the program was developed the team again phenomenal people the team that i work with i lucked out i have justin templeton back on this design team um and then uh another couple of really stellar designers probably one of the best experienced designers i've ever worked with jennifer mansdorf um and then uh our our director Paul Blair, these people are really invested in making sure that 
making sure that every flow through either the educator experience or the student experience, we had an amazing designer on the student experience side as well named Chris Zalmata, um, great, great, great game designer. Um, the, they are all really invested in, in mapping the user flows through all of the different segments of the product and making sure that we have consistency across the product. So no matter where you are in the product, it's once you're uh, introduced to the beginning, uh, the beginning screens, the beginning, the usage maturity for those beginning screens, like after that, it should be easy to go deeper into the program to learn more and to have that consistency all throughout and so we tested for example this one particular uh, data page uh, which is the detailed page we've got a summary page for each uh, district school class and student right that's mm -hmm. your that's your quick um, quick summary of what's going on so that you can very quickly take an action with your, with your particular students, or if this school isn't performing on the targets that you've set for them at the district level, or if, you know, your third graders are really banging it and they're really, you know, kicking it and really doing well, but your fourth graders aren't really getting their time that they need to. So maybe you have to go talk to your fourth grade PLC, you know, mm -hmm. like we've given that summary data so that it's actionable quickly, quickly, quickly actionable. Right. Awesome. But then the usage page, the next level down that, that little bit more granular, right. We tested and tested and tested and tested and tested, and we knew we were close with both the summary page and the more granular page when teachers in schools throughout the country actually started recognizing their own students in our prototype fake data. Right. Because, you know, you prototype and you just it's just words and pictures. Right. It's mm. not actually data behind there. Um, and I, I I was out in um, the Columbus, Ohio area at the Olin Tangi uh, local school district. Amazing, amazing educators out there. And I was sitting actually in a PLC meeting with a group of women. I'm trying to remember what grade they taught elementary school. I don't. They might have been third. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, and they started looking at this data and going, oh, and, and our names in our prototype are Flintstone-esque names, right? They're all names okay. of, like <laughs> stones, right? And, and we did that intentionally because stones don't have, um, stones don't have uh, race or creed or nationality. So like the 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 kids you know the kid's name is last name is boulder or the kid's <laughs> last name is agate or turquoise right like those could be anybody right so so no regardless of where we were if we were in you know connecticut or dc or you know moline illinois like it didn't matter you're you could see your kids the names weren't going to distract you from yeah. that 
but they could see their oh that's like and i won't say kids names but yeah that's like so-and-so kid who who takes forever to make a choice but when they make that choice they're right and and that one oh that's like this kid who rushes through everything just to try to get it done but you know mm -hmm. and, and they really could see their students right so that was mm -hmm. our first inkling that the data and the way that we were displaying it was um at quickly actionable right? Because again, teachers don't have 38 seconds to go potty. They need to be able to look <laughs> at that summary screen and realize, okay, I need to check in with student X and student Y, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe I need to make a small group with, you know, this group of students who seem to all be struggling on this same concept, right? So the initial data is super, super right there, summary actionable, right? The deeper dive into the data um <laughs> that that research study was literally planes trains and automobiles um i got side i got grounded by an ice storm and had to reroute uh took the took a red eye landed um you know literally freshened up in the 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 airport bathroom <laughs> and then went straight into a two-day workshop with this group of somewhere around 80 somewhere between 80 and 90 educators and we workshopped that data display um and when we came back when i came back from that study working it through with those 80 90 educators and again this is stuff that we had been prototyping been testing been prototyping been testing thought we were really close with right um we brought that back and that gave us the initial um solidification if you will of our information architecture for the educator experience because again there's a student experience and an educator experience in the program mm -hmm. and it was uh, it was so amazing to really see what was priority for mm -hmm. teachers and administrators because we had a mm -hmm. mixed mixed group in this workshop um and then my uh, our director paul took all of that and he's been with mind for more years than i can count he knows the program really deeply right and he sat with that for a few days and then he started mapping that data up and down the district hierarchy right and he realized that one of the things that the teachers had been like super excited about broke the experience flow as it went up the hierarchical chain, hmm. right? And so he tells us this on a Tuesday, like he's, he's you know, massaged all this data in his head and looked at it and worked at it. Um, he tells us that on a Tuesday, I'm flying on Wednesday out to validate the prototype that we had you know that we had built based on that workshop i'm flying on wednesday out to houston and colleen 
Texas to test that prototype. So we scrap the entire prototype and go back to paper prototype for that study um, with the Brazosport wow. district outside of Houston. So I don't even know how late my <laughs> teammates and I worked yeah. that Tuesday night because I was catching an early flight. Um, but we completely scrapped it. We, we went back to the drawing board, literally, like we, yeah. we literally a paper drawn prototype that we took out to the Brazosport district in Houston um, and tested with their teachers there. Gosh, such a passionate, amazing group of teachers. They really gave us deep, rich, raw, gritty feedback, right? So that was amazing that so I flew Wednesday that was a Thursday Thursday night I'm on the phone with my teammates we're rejiggering the paper prototype so that we can validate it again and we tested that um, the over the weekend I drove up from Houston to Colleen we start testing the new the revised prototype in Colleen and it fails hmm. it fails so that night I'm back on the phone with my teammates doing a, um, you know, a WebEx call and we're just racking our brains. How do we adjust it? How do we adjust it? How do we adjust it? Paper prototype again, like I'm running to Walmart buying <laughs> supplies to create this paper prototype, right? We get that out two more days in Colleen and we scored, brought it home dead dog tired. <laughs> dead dog tired like I actually ended up ill um dead dog tired but we nailed the information architecture so oh. that's what having this super collaborative you know really able to to you know to I mean we all have pride in our work right but if it's not right it's not right do it again yeah. Do it again and do it again yeah. and do it again and do it again and do it quickly. I mean, we must have done between Tuesday to Wednesday, the you know, the following week. Yeah. Um, we probably did four iterations of that prototype based on the one that we had done in Canal, West Virginia in the workshop. Wow. Right. Based on what we learned from that. So fascinating you know it's just you really have to get in you've got to get in and get gritty and get raw and really understand the whys you and i were talking about this mm -hmm. um uh and you had shared a link with me that uh was talking about some ways that people are are doing UX research. And at the beginning of this, remember, I, I started talking about how mind is very data driven. Um, we do get a ton of data, right? But data only takes you so far. We had, when I first started at Mind, one of my first tasks, if you will, was to read through over 300 um, uh, support desk help desk tickets okay. that described all manner of <laughs> of feature wish lists and functionality that that educators desired and 
you know, suggestions, right? Because mine's very open to suggestions. Read through over 300 of those, right? And then started to use those questions to more deeply understand what educators needed in the program, what students needed in the program, but not just what, why. When a teacher would say, I wish that the program gave me this information. Why? And they look at you like you're, what do you mean why? Right? <laughs> why? What is that information going to enable you to do with or for your students? And we kept asking and asking and asking until we got, like I said, um, when I was, you know, sitting outside of Columbus, Ohio there with that group of teachers, like we got it. Like they, they, they saw their kids and they knew what actions they would take with their individual students based on that data. That's a long mapping journey to mm. get to that level of depth. Mm -hmm. But if you don't get to that level of depth, you have data for data sake. I met with a superintendent at a district in Florida, and I won't say who, um, but the superintendent was just like, we are data driven. That's awesome. You should be. What do you do based on that data? Crickets, crickets, crickets. He read the data. Boy, did he read that data. He knew the data. He could rattle it off his fingertips. What adjustments do you make based on that data to better serve your students? Crickets, crickets, crickets. Data has to be actionable. Hmm. Uh yeah, these are fascinating stories. Um, I love how you guys, you know, pivoted so much, you know, it's, uh, it, it made it a harder, longer route. Um, mm -hmm. But your prioritization of, you know, what do educators need and why? What do students need and why? Seems like it just really drove your team. And um, I just, I just love seeing that. And it makes me wonder, um, what products out there um, have been developed by teams that have gone through some sort of similar process and what mm -hmm. products out there it's it really that process was really really thinned out and yeah. wasn't really pursued as much and I'm sure you could see you know <laughs> in, in the results as the as the product is being used. It's um, interesting if you take yeah. a walk through the exhibitor hall in any of the big education conferences mm -hmm. And just listen to people's reactions to the products that are being demonstrated, right? And you'll listen to the language. Wow, that looks really cool. Versus, oh, wow, that's really informative. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, no <laughs> just I, listen. I can just picture. listen, right? You know the yeah. stuff you used as an educator. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That looks really cool. There was, um, so you mentioned uh, in the intro, the podcast that Mind Research Institute mm -hmm. puts out. Um, we also have a really, uh, a, a really informative 
blog and every different department in the organization contributes to that blog. Our data science teams, our mathematicians, um, I write, um, you know, everybody contributes at all kinds of different levels. So you get this sort of digest of what it of all the thinking that goes into making the products that Mind makes. And, you know, right now I'm working on ST Math. I've had the uh, absolute joy of working with Brandon Smith and Nina Wu on the South of Sahara games. You want to talk amazing family math games that don't feel like math games, right? I've had oh. the chance to work on those. Um, I've had the chance to work on one of our very quiet behind the scenes um, double NDA uh, products that our R&D team is working on. This level of thought goes into everything that mine does. And if you look at, if you read through the blogs, you will actually find blogs where we talk about how to pick an ed tech program. Hmm. You know, it's like the um, progressive insurance where they will we'll give you everybody's quote. And if it's not ours, that's OK. Right. Like mm -hmm. we actually get deep into the making of and the research behind. And we run third party data studies, not with just, you know, a thousand kids in, you know, the swanky suburbs. Right. Mm. We run data studies with third-party investigators across the nation. Like, we're serious about this stuff. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. That's so awesome. As my sister would say, we don't play. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. I'm definitely going to include a link to the blog in the notes. Um, I have to ask this real quick. So, and it, it's a silly, it sounds like a silly question given everything that you just said. Um, but the question is, is research still uh, important slash the follow-up to that is, um, do you think that the role of research um, and the time that it takes, the money that it takes, do you think that that importance level changes depending on the type of product? So, for example, when we're talking education, do you think that that's, um, that process is more important than maybe in another product that another agency is trying to, to develop? Um, because... Uh, something that I've noticed is that different agencies and companies just really the philosophy can really be a lot different, you know, when it comes to, you know, how fast can we, you know, develop something or develop something right. and then research more on the, the back end of it. Um, right. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. And, and the first thing that I would that I would do in response to that is think of, and since we're talking ed tech, think of a, a, a tech product or site or, you know, mm -hmm. interface experience mm -hmm. that you've interacted with that just feels janky. <laughs> just feels janky. Like you're looking for the whatever action you want to take and you, can't find it right mm -hmm. research will reveal that if you're researching with your prototypes and you don't have to 
um, you don't have to build, you don't have to take months building a prototype. Uh, you know, yeah. we did four prototypes in a week. Yeah. Right. So whatever budget you have, make it happen. I've done guerrilla research in a Starbucks <laughs> because I had no budget for research. Now, could I have done a lot better and a lot more? Yeah, but I got enough insights doing that guerrilla research to <clears throat> go get a budget yeah. for research. And the other piece of it is too, is that people say, oh, we don't have the time. Oh, we don't have the money. I hear it all the time, right? But my question is, do you then have the time to build something that doesn't work well for your users? Because what does that do to your market share? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. What does that do to your market share? What kind of technical debt um, and technical debt is, okay, we designed it, we built it this way, but this thing, that thing, this thing, and that thing don't work well for the users. So now we have to go back and redesign and rebuild, right? I People ask on the software side, do you really have to do quality assurance and user acceptance testing? It's like, well, you don't have to, but... <laughs> going to catch up. <laughs> it's going to catch you. It's going to bite you in the hind end at some point, right? So putting some of that effort and some of that research into the design gives you a huge degree more confidence that what you're actually asking your engineers to build is actually going to be usable by your customers. Wouldn't <laughs> you want to know that before you put something out in the market? it's <laughs> uh, good that's good okay well to to kind of wrap up what advice would you give to those wanting to enter the tech space specifically within a, a user experience type role mm -hmm. um, what, would, what would you give to people that are interested in that um gosh you know be curious be curious and 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 try to understand the whys. Like if you are, say, you're an educator and you're um, evaluating a new curriculum or a even just a new idea, right, that maybe a cohort is sharing with you, get into that a little bit. Um, really what does that enable you to do with and for your kids, right? So mm -hmm. approach things really with, with curiosity. Um, one of the biggest challenges that I see in a lot of technology these days, not just ed tech, but a lot of technology is its accessibility. And so um, on LinkedIn learning, Derek, Featherstone, one word, uh, feather and stone, one word, teaches some UX fundamentals courses that expose accessibility in such an understandable way that I actually recommend those two classes 
even to software developers, to engineers, because, you know, accessibility is one of those areas that sometimes gets cut when it comes to, um, when it comes to development, because people think it's so much more expensive to do. And, and I would disagree. Um, if you put thought into it in the design, then it goes alongside just with the rest of the design. So I would definitely look at um, making sure that I understood that. Uh, and then I would start following people who write in this space. Um, Boxes and Arrows is a online magazine that is really amazing. Um, UX Matters is another one that's really, really good. Uh, the primary publishers in this space are, um, oh, I'm blanking on one of the names right now. Hang on. Oh, my brain. Rosenfeld Media and, oh, I can see their logo in my head. <laughs> oh, it's bugging me. I'll think of it. I'll think of it before we're done here. But anyway, the, um, you know, just read and, 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 you know, watch the YouTube videos and, you know, really start to follow the practitioners in the space. It's, you know, mm -hmm. really a great way to really a great way to get to understand and to know, um, you know, to know what work is being done out there and then use that same curiosity that you discover there in your own work and then look for opportunities to take on like say small projects here and there. Mm. That's, you know, really just kind of the way to kind of transition in. And then if you, you know, if you have the inkling, Go check out Kent State's UXD program. It's pretty dang phenomenal. <laughs> Sounds like it. Sounds really awesome. Mm -hmm. that, that's great. That's really great. Um, it's it's really cool to see your when you look at kind of just the the span of your life and your you know your education journey. Even you know way back as a student, as a young mm -hmm. student, you know the story you shared, um, your experience with multiplication even you know back in third grade and um, leading all the way up to what you're working on now and what your team is doing I just think it's it's a really really interesting arc and a really interesting story O'Reilly sorry oh O'Reilly like I knew there. I was gonna remember the other publisher O'Reilly <laughs> perfect <laughs> sorry I interrupted you, no that's I great like, I can't leave them out <laughs> yeah that's great so all those recommendations and all of that I'll put in the the show notes and it's just really great to to think about ways to understand the space even more um, and just hearing your story I think will just really encourage a lot of people to think um, in a research driven, but like you said, actionable way. Um, and something that I've just noticed as, as a teacher has been, you know, I wonder how, how they made this decision to make this this way. You know, sometimes you're mm -hmm. using something and mm -hmm. it is such an absolute head scratcher. And so as right. I'm diving more into the space and seeing how different places approach it, I definitely just um, really respect and appreciate what um, Mind Research is doing. And I'm just excited too. You know, I, I can think of people where, oh man, 
I would love to put this program in front of them. <laughs> it sounds really, really awesome. Um, well, Alicia, how can people find and connect with you? I am. So the UX community is pretty active on Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. When UX was first getting going uh, really, really big and, you know, finally eking its way into, you know, most of the more successful organizations out there. <laughs> um, Twitter was the place where everybody connected. And I'm uh, just my first name, last name, A-L-E-S-H-A-A-R-P on Twitter. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. And that's, that's probably where I spend most of my my public time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, easy to find there. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you again, just for your time and sharing with us your experience. And for our listeners, definitely check out the show notes for ways mm -hmm. to connect with Alicia. Um, and I'll put some of the links in there that she mentioned in the blog and a link to Mind Research Institute. Um, there's also a link to send in a voice message to me about your thoughts on this podcast. So if you have any perspectives or stories to share, definitely feel free to reach out um, that way or find me on Twitter or Instagram at UX underscore EdTech or on LinkedIn as Alicia Kwan. This is the UX of EdTech podcast, an exploration of user experience in the educational technology space. I look forward to learning with you next time.